Good morning. And it is, uh, it is the last Sunday of the year. Tell you what, isn't, that, isn't it a great way to spend it here together in God's house? Yeah, I love it. I'm so glad you guys are here. And, uh, you know, we all got a little bit of snow. Just, I call that enough. That, that, that's that's my, my term. That was enough. But it's a good start. Okay, so uh, we're going to, the Magi, right? Uh, what's that, what, do, what do we also call them? The wise men, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that this morning. Uh, but first, uh, you know, if I mention a uh, couple of things, like, like if I said the Mona Lisa, or I said, if you're really into art, the Scream. You know that painting, you know, where you know, like that? Okay, you know, what comes to your mind if I say those two paintings? Museum. Museum. Anything else? Big name artists. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, they're famous. That would maybe come to mind, right? They're, they're famous. Uh, they're, they're both very well known and famous. They also have a couple of other things in common, which is kind of interesting and unique. Um, of course, first, they're both considered to be very valuable art treasures. Okay. But the second thing is, a little less maybe well known, is that both those paintings at some point were stolen. Okay? The Mona Lisa, which was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century, was stolen from the Louvre in Paris in 1911 when a worker in the gallery tucked it under his uh, coat and walked out the door with it. Uh, it about a couple of years later, uh, they recovered it when he was trying to sell it. Okay? Uh, uh, so so it, it was restored. Uh, the Scream which was painted by Edvard Munch, uh, was painted in the early 1900s. In 2004, it was stolen by armed robbers. Fortunately, it was soon recovered, restored, and returned as well. Okay, point being that sometimes even things of great value and significance and importance can be lost or stolen. So, now, we've all just been celebrating the birth of Jesus, the, the coming of the Messiah. And I just wanted to remind all of us what an amazing, precious treasure that first Christmas brought. Even with all the planning and preparation and commitments that you may have had over the last week or so, hopefully we haven't allowed the real treasure of Christmas to be stolen from us. Because the point of Christmas, after all, isn't for us just to get to trade presents and eat a lot of great food. It's really a time for us to remember and celebrate that God came to dwell with us so that we could then dwell with him forever. John reminds us of this in the beginning of the Gospel of John. In John 1 and then also in verse 14, it simply says that the Word was God. And then later it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When you, you just, I mean, if you just let that verse sort of, you know, sit in your mind for a second and really think, the word became flesh. That's not a small thing. Okay? And, and it became flesh and made it, and God 
loved us so much that he sent the word, his son, to dwell among us. Okay, I mean, just look at the enormity of God, the complexity of his creation, and the majesty of his glory that we've been talking about this morning and seeing about this, his effort that he went to for our salvation. Isn't it really almost beyond comprehension? What he did for us, it's, it's, it's amazing. Question for you. So why would God go to so much effort to restore us to himself? Why would he try so hard? Because he loves us. Because we had no other route. We couldn't do it ourselves. Yeah. It's what he really wanted. Isn't that a good feeling? I mean, really. Well, you're all, you're right. I mean, in fact, John 4, 8 gives us a very direct answer, okay? Because it's found, it's the one word God has used to describe himself. And it says in John, uh, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. And he loved us so much. He wanted it so bad. And he knew there was no other way. That that's why he came. Today, as we wrap up this series, The Cast of Christmas, so we're going to study the role that the Magi played. Okay? So now, when did the Magi, we also call them the three wise men, a lot of people, okay? When did they actually come to see Jesus? Okay, so, so yeah, they, 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 actually, they actually came after his birth, right? Okay, so let's, uh, let's read the account in Matthew 2. It's centered on the Magi's search for the Messiah, and let's discover not only when and why they came, but also I want us to take a look at three very different responses of, of some of the cast of players that were, uh, that were around them. We're going to take a look at... King Herod. We're going to take a look at the teachers of the law and then the Magi themselves about how they reacted to this wonderful news of Jesus' birth. So let's read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... You are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. Hmm. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, now I realize that the account you've heard of the Magi or the wise men maybe many times, uh, as well as the image in your mind, might be a little different than we just read in, in Scripture. So first, let's really just confirm what um, the actual picture is that the Bible paints. Okay? And then we'll take a look at those three different reactions of the folks. Okay, so the setting of the Magi, it, it's at least a month or two, maybe more, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because the crowds that had temporarily filled the city, there's no room in the inn, they had gone. Uh, and, and so uh, now Mary and Joseph, because she had had a baby, likely weren't quite ready for a donkey ride back to Nazareth, right, yet. So they had found more suitable lodging for caring for the newborn. Okay? So as scripture we just read, it just described it. It said, when Jesus was born, a very bright star had appeared in the sky. Now, Magi, from somewhere to the east of Bethlehem, understood its meaning, and they set out to find the Messiah. As travelers from a distant land, they first went to Jerusalem and they approached King Herod. And they asked him, like they said, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we've come to worship him. Well, it told us that when King Herod heard it, you know, the Bible says he was disturbed. I'd say more likely jealous. Okay? And he became determined to protect his position. So he called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them, where the scriptures said the Messiah would be born. And, of course, they responded in Bethlehem, since this was what the prophet Micah had said several hundred years earlier. And we saw that in Micah 5.2. We studied that verse several weeks ago. But it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was from several hundred years before Jesus' birth, pronouncing it. So then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now Herod then sent the Magi to Bethlehem, and they said, go search carefully, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so I can go and worship him. Okay, so then after they had gotten this direction from the king, they set out for Bethlehem, and the star that they had seen that had led them so far it says it went ahead of them and it stopped over the house where the child was. There they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him and they opened their treasures and they presented him with the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. Okay. Then scripture tells us that they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod so they returned to their home country by another route. Okay, despite the words of the song We Three Kings of Orion Ark. Right? 
that many of us sing every year, just so we're clear, you'll have to notice that nowhere does it say that the Magi were kings. Okay? And the Bible doesn't say how many of them there were. One commentary suggests that the term Magi loosely in those days covered a wide variety of scholars that were interested in and studied dreams and the stars and ancient books of prophecy. So instead of kings, it's more likely that they were scholars and astrologers kind of who had some working knowledge of and belief in Hebrew scripture. They may have been from Babylon, where a lot of the Israelites had, had been, you know, before. So why do you think that over the years everybody's decided that there were three? There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, that may, you know, that's probably the most likely reason, right? But, you know, the tradition is there were three of them, uh, from, for, likely for that very reason. But, you know, the other thing to consider is those were very valuable gifts. And so the fact is, it may have been the fact that each gift came from a number of magi because of the, of the total value. The point is, we simply don't know. We simply don't know. We, we, we actually don't know where they came from, uh, and it, except that it was from the east. Like I said, could have been Babylon. We don't know. We really don't know what the star was that they saw. Some people suggest uh, it could have been a sign in the heavens like uh, that astronomers actually know that in about 7 B.C. there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. And so, so it had been a very, very bright star that would have lasted for quite a while. So some people think maybe it was that kind of thing. Some people have said, oh, it may have been a comet or a supernova. Uh, others believe it was a purely supernatural event, like the pillar of fire or cloud that went ahead of the Israelites when they left Egypt. Uh, isn't it really good to know that no matter how God decided to organize it, that he did it? right? That he did it. That's what really matters. It's not what he, how he did it. It's what he did. And the fact is that, and the Magi said it, there was an unusually bright star for them to follow, a bright light for them to follow. Okay, so now let's turn our attention to one of the groups, the, the teachers of the law, and let's consider their response uh, to the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, Matthew 2, 4, and 5. Remember it said that when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah would be born. Well, okay, so they said in Bethlehem, and they quoted the prophet Micah to, to, ver to validate that answer. Okay, after meeting with the Magi, Herod then uh, called the chief, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, after uh, meeting with the Magi, Herod called the chief priests and the teachers of the law together, and he asked them, And but the thing that amazes me, is that they provided the answer, right? They knew the right answer, where it was. But then after meeting with Herod, we never hear from them again. They, I mean, it's amazing. The teachers of the law and the priests have, think about what they've just done. They've heard that a child has been born. They've given the answer as to where. It's the Messiah it's the child that they've been 
there's been prophecies about that they've been studying. It's the one that they've been waiting for. But the response of the ones, of the teachers of the law, the people who've dedicated their lives to the study of scriptures, and in fact they make their living from teaching God's word about his laws and prophecies to everyone else, is they do nothing. They do nothing. They don't go investigate. They don't search him out. They just say, he's over there in Bethlehem somewhere. I mean, from what I can tell about the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they, what they were most excited about was the fact that they knew the right answer. Right? They, they were asked a question, and they could answer it. And, and they could validate it because there was prophecy. I mean, you know, they, they, you know what that is? They, they knew all about the Messiah. They didn't actually know him. They knew about God. They didn't actually go so that they could have actually known the Messiah and receive him and worship him. You know, it's important to learn about God, isn't it? Yeah. But we don't want to make the same mistake that the teachers of the law made since they put knowing about God ahead of actually knowing God. In John 10, 14, it says, you know, here's what Jesus didn't say. Okay? Jesus didn't say, I know my sheep, and my sheep know about me. He said, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They know me. God reveals himself through his word, but the but the point is to draw close to him in order to know him more and to be more like him and love him. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. God showed us on that first Christmas so that we can know him on that, and have a relationship with him. And so we just don't want to let our familiarity with the story or our focus on, you know, new, new information, new knowledge, steal the treasure of Christmas from our hearts. So let's look at the, the Herod's response to Jesus' birth, okay? So what do you remember? What did when we just read? What was Herod's initial response? Because he was just... Because he was disturbed, right? Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, in, in, in Matthew 2, 3, right, it says he was disturbed. I might say, actually, I think Herod was paranoid and power hungry. There is history. History actually validates, okay, that Herod had his own two sons killed because he was jealous of them and, they, and he thought that they were a threat to his power. So Herod treats the Magi's news the same way he responded to any threat to his power, which was he wanted to eliminate it. He wanted to try and kill the Messiah, right? He pretended he wanted to worship, but we know from later passages that, right, he actually wanted to kill him. Okay. We, there can be 
and I realize it's, that's very dramatic, but the truth is, if you think about what that really represents in Herod, there, there can actually be a little tendency to be like Herod and many of us that we need to guard against. Because what that is, is Herod's putting himself above God's plans. Herod's saying, what I want is more important than what God is doing. Okay, um, it's the, that, That's when we, like for us, that's like, it, it takes the glory of Jesus in this season um, by putting our traditions above his worship. Okay? Uh, it's, it's the part of us that kind of makes our own expectations higher than what God's plans are or the needs of others. Whenever we demand things go our way during the holiday season above what God might be doing or the needs of people around us, we can make the same mistake, actually, that Herod made. Herod... Herod was so concerned about keeping control that he not only missed the greatest blessing in history, he actually tried to fight against it. So, yeah, I mean, he was insecure and, and, not, and, and willing to pay any price to protect his own reputation. So, you know, let's remember... The example of the Magi, right? Who, when they saw the child, they bowed down and worshipped him. Okay? And they presented him with their gifts. Look, we don't know anything else about the Magi. Okay? But what we do know is that their response was to bow down and worship him. And that was the only of the three groups that did the correct thing. If you want to fully experience the meaning and wonder of the birth of Jesus, then you've got to start with worship. Because that's what they did. They worshipped him. There's nothing that centers our hearts and minds on what really matters like worship does. Giving him the praise that he's due. It really reminds us of who he is. Our worship fuels and feeds gratitude. And our worship brings us back to the grandeur and the grace and the greatness of God. When we worship, we experience a deeper connection with God and it leads us into falling deeper in love with him. You know, I think we'd all agree plainly, the teachers of the law should have known better, right? They should have known better. They knew about God. They just didn't want to know him personally. And we can easily tell that Herod chose the wrong thing. I mean, fighting against the plans of God is always the wrong idea, right? That is always a losing strategy. The Magi were the only ones to show us the way to make the most of the season, and that was their demonstration of praise and worship when they saw the Messiah, they saw Jesus. Look, there are, there are hundreds of verses in the Scripture that contain the word worship. The, there's common themes that run through the majority of them, and it's the idea of giving preference to God and, uh, and, and laying what we have and who we are down before him. It, there's a lot of ways to do that. Just think of some of the ways that are examples found in Scripture. Scripture talks about people worshiping by bowing, lying face down, lifting hands, clapping, serving, making sacrifices, trembling, singing joyfully, thanking, giving, kneeling, shouting, singing in gladness, confessing, exalting, dancing, and responding in spirit and truth. 
the magi worshipped through their gifts and their offerings. Earlier, the shepherds had worshipped through proclaiming the good news. And the angels had worshipped through their song. Mary, it says, worshipped by pondering all these amazing events in her, in her heart. So, like the magi, God allows you and me to choose the form that our worship will take. I think the real question for us as we look at this account that we've read is, is of the three groups of, that were involved in, in this part of Jesus' coming, it's we, we want to be like the Magi of the three. So how can we respond like they did? Well, it suggests, number one, is whatever it takes, come to Jesus. Think about it. As soon as the Magi saw the star, that became their priority. They set out to find the Messiah. As you and I enter this new year, let's make knowing Jesus better a priority. Second thing is, don't allow anything to get in your way. You know, the Magi didn't have an interstate to travel on. From wherever they came from is a rough journey. They had to cross mountains and deserts, and they didn't let that stop them. Herod tried to manipulate them for his purposes. They didn't fall for that. In the new year, we don't want to allow Satan, because he will try to, if, if you demonstrate that you want to come to know God better, to get closer to Jesus this year, to grow in your faith, is Satan going to be happy about that? No, he's not, is he? So you know what he's going to do? He will hang shiny things out there in front of you to see if he can distract you. Don't allow him to distract you with things that don't matter for eternity to keep you from pursuing God. And finally, when you come to him, worship. Worship him. Matthew 2.11 said about the Magi that when they arrived at the house, they bowed down, they worshipped him, and they presented him with their treasures. They worshipped. Let's be worshippers as well. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close? You know, the Magi worshipped Jesus, the Messiah, not, not because they had to, not because anyone demanded it of them. They worshipped him because their hearts demanded it. Their hearts led them to understand that was the only appropriate response when they encountered the Messiah. The Word who became flesh. God with us. And I think it's safe to say the Magi were never the same again after that encounter. Today, as you and I look forward to next year, to this new year, if, if, you, just, if you bow your heads, just allow this to be a moment of commitment. So today, if you're ready to commit to seeking God and giving him the praise and worship he rightly deserves, not only today, but throughout this coming year, just raise your hand. Let's just make a, an affirmation of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, you... Uh, we thank you 
that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Please, Lord, protect us from becoming overly familiar with you and your word in a way that causes us not to give you the praise and worship you deserve. Lord, I ask you to give each of us hearts like the Magi who sought you and worshipped you when they found you. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name. Now, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen.